Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. Can it be that simple? Talent. Develop a robust recruiting, vetting, and training process to help capable people and then help them to become who and what they want to be. Sales. Have a logical go-to-market strategy. Build the sales and marketing structure and plan around it and then attack and execute the plan with fanatical consistency. Scale. Know where you're going, why you're going. Share with others why they would want to join you. Be clear on who's allowed to join you and what they'll need to do to stay on board. Anticipate roadblocks. Avoid them before you get stuck. And then when you do hit one, and you will, stay calm, problem solve, and find resources to get unstuck. Sounds simple, right? Simple to understand, but not easy to do. Join us as we focus on the tips and tricks and hacks for running a profitable, hyper-growth business. We'll share real-world horror stories and celebrate the victory sagas that will inspire you. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey everyone, oh man, you're in for a treat. We have Shannon Gregg with us. So she is one of the most, uh, I posted recently about meekness. She is strength under control, power under control, super humble, awesome person. So she is president of Cloud Adoption Solutions. She's an adjunct press professor over at a local university, Point Park College, which is either right before or right after this podcast. So you're gonna hear about their ideas about um, sales and building up uh, the sales uh, ecosystem of how to get pro more professional sales. She's a professional speaker and unbeknownst to her, she is going to be a new board member of the recently mentored AAISP Pittsburgh chapter. So welcome, Shannon. <laughs> welcome, Brian. I love that in my introduction, I got a new job. Yeah, congratulations. You didn't have Thank enough you. going on, right? So, <laughs> well, um, so today, uh, Shannon, the reason we have Shannon on here today is because she is, you know, she's done talks for Salesforce, for goodness sakes. And I don't know about you. I'm probably not smart enough to know how to use Salesforce well enough. I find it extremely frustrating. So I had to get Shannon and her group to help me out to build this thing out. And lo and behold, she knows RevOps and all of these, all of the pieces and components that we from a revenue generation, sales, marketing alignment, that's marketing coming together, she knows how to do it. So we're going to pick her brain and get her insights on RevOps, what she wishes uh, she sales knew about RevOps. So that's the topic. You ready to go, Shannon? I am so ready. I'm okay. So, so here's a question. Why should we listen to you? Well, I, I think the thing is, I don't know that anyone has such a strange passion and curiosity <laughs> for sales operations as I do. As you know, I just recently finished my PhD dissertation, which was explicitly focused on user adoption. So that really gentle area where operations can help to control the efficiency and effectiveness of how people use technology to be more proficient in what they're doing. So um, I don't know that it makes me fun at parties, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> you got a good laugh so <laughs> but here well, we are no okay so let's talk through this so 
why don't we define uh, RevOps? Because I, I it's still a little bit newer term, especially over here in, in, in the East Coast. I mean, they've been talking about it forever in the West Coast. But So why don't we define what in the world is RevOps to begin with? You know, in the 1980s, when research started being undertaken on organizational behavior, there were a lot of academics who said, how can we look at the way we can operationalize the way humans work? So if you think about that concept that we understand very well, such as the automotive assembly line, right? Everybody does their thing and they do it well and they do it consistently. And we know that, you know, there is reduction in defects. Well, one of the things that revenue operations does is it looks at the sales process, the marketing, the sales, that whole thing that happens before contract signature or purchase to say, how can we make this more efficient and effective? And in some, in some companies, it is still a new concept. It's held by the VP of sales or the president. It's a part of what they do. In some really large organizations, they have a whole group that's focused on this to say, how do we reduce the amount of manual mechanisms our salespeople are doing and allow them to do more of what they do best, which is delight our customers? Okay, so let's uh, let's unpack that a little bit more. So really, it's bringing, let, let's call it um, robotics into manufacturing. Let's stick with that analogy. So back in the 80s, that's whenever robotics started displacing all of these people in the manufacturing firms. Now, there's still people in manufacturing firms, and robotics have made it a lot faster and easier. Now, with RevOps, we started to go down that path, and now we have all of these resources. So we have dialers. We have automa or email automation services. We have all of this technology, uh, CRMs that it's gotten pretty darn expensive. I mean, it's not, you can easily, without batting an eye, spend one to $2,000 per salesperson with all of these different add-ons. Now, is that right? I mean, am I seeing that right? That that's fairly easy to come up to that thousand to $2,000 a month? That can be done. That can easily be done, Brian. And that is, that hurts my heart. Yeah. <laughs> but we so, see it. Yeah, and so we, we, we rely on this technology, but then, what we're relying on the technology to do, everybody says it's seamless integration and it works so nicely. And then we get lost in, in all of this data. So have we gone too far? I mean, is, have we seen the heyday of RevOps or is RevOps here to save us? I think a good solid RevOps plan and a really great RevOps practitioner will definitely save everybody from this technical debt that's being created by beautiful point solutions. But what I mean by that is, oftentimes when salespeople are looking for the fastest way they can get to market or achieve their goals, and, and let's be real, sales is a high pressure situation, right? There's a target on your back all of the time. Yeah, every month. So, right? I mean, it's what, what have you done for me lately? And by lately, I mean this month. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of times there's that sort of shiny, like this dialer is going to solve your problems. This database is going to give you all the gold you need to prospect. And one of the things that a really good rev ops approach can do is to say, how do we find where our central source of engagement is or our central source of truth is and make sure that you don't get seduced by all of these point solutions that maybe solve problems that you didn't even have yet. 
So that, that RevOps approach to say, let's do a tech audit and let's evaluate if there's any you know, technical debt is a really good way to help salespeople do what they do best and the thing that they're ultimately evaluated on. Okay, did, did you say technical debt? Yes. All right, to find that one, that's a new term for me. Technical debt is when you've got so many pieces of technology that you just don't know where to turn, right? So as a salesperson, you may have a um, cadencing software, you may have a, an auto dialer, you may have a LinkedIn integration, you might have CRM, marketing automation, list views. You know, when you look at the number of different things that you sign into to do your job during the day, how many of those are just sort of weighing you down, underutilized, unutilized, getting in your way, you know, causing double data entry or not speaking to each other. That is something that is sitting on top of your sales process and just getting in the way of doing what you do best, which is introducing customers to your products and services. Yeah. So, and you said something else too, that um, multiple versions of the truth, right? If I'm working out of spreadsheets, then I have multiple versions of the truth. I just had a, a conversation with a gentleman last evening. He's uh, upper VP of sales for a Fortune um, Fortune 500 company now, and they're they're in Salesforce, and it is so complicated and so messed up. They're office spreadsheets. A Fortune 500 company living office spreadsheets for goodness sakes. So we're we're investing in all of this. So you know why isn't this working? I look at you, you meaning the RevOps person. And I'm thinking that you have a, a, a cape on and a magic wand and you can just make it work because that's what my salesperson said. This is going to be easy. What are we doing wrong? I mean, why is it not working that way? To me, it almost says, let's step back and look at this as if we're trying to solve a crime, right? If we're forensic scientists. And when you look at all the players in this sort of ecosystem and you look at somebody who's the head of sales, very often they have a, a really rapid turnover, right? The 18 months now, yeah. 18 months, that's exactly right. So they've got 18 months where you're dealing with shadow IT applications. If you've got involved somebody from the office of the CIO, they generally are budgeting their time and their money on five-year you know, sort of increments. You're looking at somebody who's in RevOps who's saying, okay, I understand exactly what we're trying to get to, but you're dealing with all of these different sort of um, denominators, right? They're so challenging. And so the first biggest thing that a good person in, in who's a RevOps practitioner, again, doesn't have to be a fully dedicated resource, but somebody who's looking at this sort of crime scene with the RevOps magnifying glass needs to say, who's involved, what are their driving interests, and what are we trying to get to together so you can start to peel that back a little bit to say, all right, this is where we need to get started and not try to solve all of the world's problems at once. Yeah, so a couple of things there. It might not be a crime scene yet, but if these things keep going the way it is, it will be, right? And the other side of that is RevOps. How much is it revenue sales or revenue marketing? That's gonna be first question, and I'll ask a second one next. So one of the things that I think is most challenging about sales and marketing is they are compensated based on different and oftentimes competing 
outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So for marketing, you know, they may be receiving a bonus or a commission that says, how many leads have you generated? You know, what's your MQL? What's your customer lifetime value? What's your customer acquisition cost? So they're being judged on those things. And salespeople are being judged on, you know, what's your percentage uh, that's being won? What's your gross margin? So sales and marketing for a corporation, it almost makes sense to say, I'm going to put my money on both of these horses because one of them is going to push the other one to run a little faster, right? Right. So you've got this sort of intrinsic friction, unfortunately, that's been developed inside of corporate enterprises. When you bring somebody in from RevOps, they can say, hey, let's look at this lead to cash, this entire life cycle to say, okay, we know we have to generate leads, we have to nurture the leads, we qualify the leads, we hand the leads over to the salespeople. How do we make that so that it is a continuously flowing pipeline instead of you know marketing on the left side with their boxing gloves on and sales on the right? Now, okay, so the sales and marketing beating one another up with a diametrically opposed measurements, but the crazy thing is, it's the same result that we're, we're pushing for. Now, on the other side, you have operations. So how much is this RevOps looking at that sales and marketing versus the operational side? Because completely different um, skill sets, typically. It totally is. I think one of the things that is fascinating about RevOps is you need somebody who's got that sort of fiscal and operational mind who can say, if we sell so many of these, we better make sure that we have enough to fulfill that, right? We want to be able to deliver that. We want to get the indications from the sales process that says, if it takes us 12 weeks to implement, I need to make sure I have enough project managers 12 weeks from now to do that. Right. So you need somebody that's got that sort of very left-brained approach, but they also have to be really sensitive to your markers and your seller, marketers and sellers. Because somebody who's coming in just with their sort of lean ISO 9000 approach to the sales team, that, that they're going to be immediately rejected. Oh, 100%. Now, the operations person, how much is it from a technical perspective, I need to know how all of these tools and pieces work, versus more, I'm thinking from an operational perspective, that operational design, the whether you call it an EOS system or a, um, a scaling up Vern Harnish or whatever type of operating system that they have, how much is it that process systems perspective versus the systems IT side? Because this person really, uh, as we're talking about it, my gosh, there's a ton of hats here. So many hats. And I, I will argue <laughs> that there's no such thing as a RevOps center of excellence, right? Because RevOps isn't insulated. You can't sit around with a bunch of RevOps people and be like, this is the way to do RevOps, right? It's more of a governance board where you have, you know, a friend in finance, a friend in operations, a friend in delivery, a friend in procurement, people from sales, people from marketing, right? You've You've got to be able to understand all of their perspectives. And, you know, the worst word that we hear in company buzz talk right now is silos. And that rev ops person is the one who's just out there like Donkey Kong throwing, you know, giant boulders at these silos saying like, we cannot do this. We cannot exist this way. So where, this, where do most rev ops people live? Do they live under, under the CRO? Do they live under the COO? Because you could really put it anywhere. You could put it anywhere. This is such a great position, I think, because you could sit under the CFO. 
You could sit under probably the chief human resources officer. You could sit anywhere because it really is a cross-functional um, resource that has to be embedded in every team. So when you talk about selling, <laughs> the RevOps person needs to be able to understand how to sell into those departments so that they can understand what their challenges are and how to take that all the way back to the marketing and sales engine. Okay, let me ask you a tangential question, but it, it's going to be interesting because it's the same type of concept. So our, our podcast is the Talent, Sales and Scale podcast. And we're, we're channel partners with a group called Outmatch. And Outmatch does digital HR, digi you know, they digitize the HR process. There's a lot of, let's call HR enablement tools, much like sales enablement tools. There's a lot of sales enablement tool, or excuse me, HR enablement tools, other than the old applicant tracking system, although that could be a part of it. Do, do you see RevOps because so much of candidate marketing can't client or candidate acquisition is exactly the same as marketing acquisition or or, can, or client acquisition. So does Rev do you see RevOps starting to take over that HR integration, much like they're taking over the integration of the the sales and marketing um, tools and and platforms? I think the parallel is in the position of the RevOps person with the HR person. Because mm -hmm. when you think of HR, that could mean in a smaller company, an HR generalist who does a little bit of everything. In a bigger company, you've got people that just do recruitment, that just do benefits, that just, you know, so you've got those HR specialists. And you could have that same sort of thing with RevOps. In RevOps, you could have somebody that looks across all of sales and marketing, or you could have somebody that say, say just works on pricing somebody that just works on contract development. So, you know, where I think the parallel is not necessarily in the tools that they use or the technology that they use, but in that sort of holistic psychological approach to the overall position. Got it. Okay. So let me get you back on the, on the sales side, on the, uh, on the sales and marketing. So what should we, whenever we're leading a sales team, what should we know about RevOps? How can we be your friend? How can you help us? What, what resources can you give to us so we can work better? That one of the things that I think a lot of people who are at the head of sales feel is that the RevOps person is working against their grain and they're usually not. In a lot of companies, the RevOps person actually is bonused on sales attainment. So they have the same goal as you do. And I think what it comes down to is saying, which pieces of my job as a leader of sales can I involve the RevOps person with, with you know, maybe commission plan design or understanding territory alignment, vertical approach, partner alignment, those sorts of things. And so I think it's, it's having that same sort of relationship that you would have with your friend, which is being really open and honest instead of trying to hold everything so close to the chest and say, I've got this giant number and I'm going to do everything I can to get there. You know, there's, there's, you're both, you're driving in the same vehicle, the same way that marketing and sales are. Yeah, and I would see that there could be a, a massive butting of the heads because you know, let's be stereotypical here. Sales leaders are typically very high A type personalities. And, you know, we, we sometimes have a fairly good ego and then we have to go to RevOps. And my guess is RevOps is gonna be process, process, process. You gotta get your people to do this. And now the sales the sales leader is going, don't tell me, this is my sales team. 
And then the really good salespeople are pushing against the sales leader because they don't want to put the stuff in. Hey, you're just slowing me down. This is this is keeping me from doing my job. Let me just do my thing. How many times have we heard that one, right? So how do we work through that one? Because that is a massive challenge. There's a there's a very gentle distribution between the art of sales and the science of sales. And so I think RevOps professionals have to keep in mind that there's that three-legged stool, right? It's the people process technology that we all know from Harold Levitt's Diamond, right? That's been around since the 60s. And so we have to consider the people and where the people are, how the process works for the people so that they can work, you know, at their sort of ultimate productivity and then how the technology augments that, right? So you don't just go out and say like, I'm going to buy this technology. It's going to solve all my people and process issues. It will not. So there's always this recalibration to say, how do I take these three things, this people process and technology and put it in a place that allows the salespeople to continue to use their art because there is a very human component to sales and then say like, we're going to apply some science so you can do more of that art of selling that you're really, really good at instead of spending your time copying and pasting these prospecting emails. Yeah. Now, okay, let's get your take, chicken or the egg. People? Process or technology, what comes first? Yeah, doesn't it depend on the size of the business and where they're at, right? I mean, I think it depends if you're in high growth, if you're in scale, or if you're in maintenance mode for your business. So let's break those up. So um, help me understand the difference between those. I, I mean, I, I know it uh, conceptually, but I hadn't considered it from a which comes first perspective. So this this is interesting. I love it. I think companies that are in their high growth phase, the process is a little less important because you mm. don't want to hold them back because they're going to have that period of hero sales. They're going to have that period where they're just out there saying, what's our product market fit, right? How are the people responding to us? What's the voice of the customer? And so I think holding them back with process is a challenge. You, they can be a little more free, right? They can be a little more open. You don't need them to fill out uh, expense reports and 10 point times new Roman, right? Right, right. <laughs> but as you get into that sort of scaling, that's when the process becomes more important because you're saying, is this repeatable? Is this something, if I want to hire 30 salespeople all at once, can I scale it? And if you don't have process, you better not hire 30 salespeople at one yeah, time, right? Or even two. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Okay, so you're, you're suggesting then that that high growth, it's not necessarily that they shouldn't have process, but we shouldn't because their their growth. Um, we don't want that process to take them out. Now, another might say, let's take the other side of that story. Well, if I don't put process into place in this hyper growth, I now can't sustain hyper growth. So what would you say to that person? I think it's it's all about just in time, right? So if you if you say, okay, now I found out this person went and got themselves a $700 hotel room, right? Well, then maybe that's the time you put in your salesperson process handbook. <laughs> you know, this is our corporate rate. This is where you stay, right? Yeah. And so I think putting it out there ahead of time is just a waste of your time when you're writing the handbook. Don't stay in the $700 hotel. Say that once you need to say it, right? And I think- yeah using that sort of just-in-time approach is the right thing to do because let's be real if you had written all of your process on march 12th 2020 you better believe on march 13th 2020 you were rewriting that document right a hundred percent yeah and, and that's where it has to really be a living breathing document that's not too onerous um got it okay now 
with all of these different technologies out there, I'm that sales leader, I'm dealing with the salespeople, any best practices that we can talk to our salespeople to get them to actually adopt this stuff that we're spending so much money on? So much money on. That is really true. I think what it comes down to is making sure that one, you understand your change management process, your change management approach. So a lot of times companies will bring in their salespeople. They give them two weeks of onboarding. You know, there's ride-alongs, there's peer-to-peer training. And then after that, there's no more training because every right. hour, right, is a revenue-generating hour. And so we're kind of like, oh, what salespeople? You better go invest in yourself. You know, listen to Brian's podcast you know, read these books, but you do that on your own time. I'm not going to spend time training you. And I think that's one of the things that we have to look at, which is how do we use change management principles and this just-in-time training approach to give our people what they need exactly when they need it, right? Not eight weeks before. Okay, so back to a question that I touched on earlier and we want to get back to it here is, so me as the, the sales leader, what do I really need to lean on you for? What can I ask you? How can you make my life easier? I think you can start with anything that you do over and over and over again that's taking your time away from coaching your salespeople. That's a great place to start. So, so is it this? I just heard this yesterday. If it's making you swear, that's probably a time that you want to get your RevOps person in here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because really, as sales leaders, we've got this giant goal that we're responsible for. And so we're looking for indicators to say, how do I know when I need to coach up somebody? How do I know when I need to prepare you know, a replacement for somebody who probably isn't going to make it through to the next quarter? I mean, you're so focused on your people and your market approach that everything else that's getting in the way, those are good candidates for your RevOps person. Got it. Okay, so me as a uh, as a sales leader leaning on my RevOps person, if there's that mundane, uh, call it administrative re repetition that brings no value to the process, that's one time I'm big time going to the, the RevOps person. When else do I go there? I think the other time to go there is when you're trying to say, okay, what are the indications that we're getting? What are the trends we're seeing? So um, where we're really focused, at, you know, sales leaders are really saying, okay, this is my quarter. Like, this is what I've got to do this quarter putting it back on the RevOps person to say, what are we seeing when we're looking at every time we go against this particular competitor or every time we pitch this particular service or we're working in this particular vertical, letting the RevOps person do that trend analysis for you to say, you know what we do very well? We have a 70% close rate anytime we pitch product A in the education vertical. That's a way better time for us to be spending you know, instead of pitching down here on product B, a lower margin in a vertical that seems to be dying for us. Interesting. So RevOps can really dive into to the data, into the analytics and help us to likely better forecast to target specific markets. So we're all on limited resources. So we know exactly where to spend our time and efforts and dollars to see a better return on investment. Right. And there's going to be far less um, emotional attachment from the RevOps person than there would be maybe from your product management or product marketing team. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because you know what? Funny, shame on me, because I was thinking RevOps is just getting all the tools and technology to work together to help the sales team. And there's a lot more to this. There's so much that can be done. And I think, like you said, it's still a fairly burgeoning, it's a, it's a fairly new practice. 
I think a lot of companies still don't necessarily understand it. And that's why we hear it called everything. <laughs> RevOps, marketing ops, sales ops, sales enablement. I mean, there's so many terms for it because it still is a, a new, I think, profession. Okay. Now, how about, how about from us as the, the heads of sales? What would you like to ask us? How can we make you as the RevOps person? What should we be doing? How can we make your life easier? I think one of the things that RevOps people always want to know from their sales leader is how else can I help you, right? <laughs> how can we reduce that friction so that we can get in and help? Because we have the same goal in mind. Yeah. So any key areas that you've found that you've been able to, uh, like things that those sales leaders have done to, to come alongside you? Is it, I'm guessing, and this is probably so obvious, it might be a stupid question, so forgive me, but I'm, I'm guessing it's just clear communication, clear expectations, clear collaboration. What else, I mean, other than the obvious, be a good communicator and teammate, there has to be more that we can do to help the RevOps folks. I think one of the things that's a challenge for many people in RevOps that I've heard uh, across organizations is that RevOps is generally seen as a support role instead of a key member of sales management, right? Okay. And so, and, and this is often when you do see RevOps people that are sitting in the Department of Finance or the Department of Operations. And so sales leadership, when they've got you know a sales management team, when they forget to bring that person in from RevOps, it's, it's harder, I think, to develop the relationship where they say, I can help you to be proactive, right? I can give you these indicators on how the rest of the year is going to go based on what I see you know, coming out of our data. Well, what are the sales leaders who aren't using RevOps or aren't doing that, what are they doing? I mean, are they, that's it. Because I just heard this the other day. Well, you know, we just, we grew last year at X percent and we're going to tack on another 20%. Yeah, but the market's down and this, this, this product is starting to sunset. I don't care. Add another 20. What the, right? So that RevOps person can really help us to identify that, bring data to it to maybe help battle that. Sure. And we know when, when somebody says unequivocally, you know, this year's goal is 20% over last year's, that came from somewhere, right? It came from the board of directors. It came, it came from somewhere. And one of the things that your RevOps partner can do is prepare you with the information that you need to go back and say, hmm, okay, I see that you want us to have 20%, but maybe that's our stretch goal. Maybe the reality for us for this year is 12% over last year based on all the things we can see in the total available market and the market conditions. Got it. Okay. So I'm a smaller founder, All right, Startup, I'm at a CMU, I'm at a, I just graduated Point Park or whatever the case may be, right? Um, when do I start to look towards RevOps? Because my guess is many of them don't even think about it. I, I need a good sales team. I get a, need a good marketing team. I need a good finance person. Operations oftentimes is, falls off to the wayside. I am worried about customer success because retention, especially in SaaS and technologies is such a key component of it. When should I start to look to hire or bring on a RevOps person? You know, this is such a core question that I saw a debate about it the other day in a sales group that you and I both are in. And it was a sort of like, well, do I bring in a sales ops person? Do I bring in a consultant? Do I bring sales enablement? Do I bring rev ops? Like, what do I bring? And I think what it really comes down to, I think the decision point here is just to say, how can I be impacted by having decisions that are able to be made from data, right? So when you're looking at it and saying, if you're, if you're a small startup coming out of CMU and you're thinking about 
what your go-to-market approach is, how you're going to get investors, those sorts of things. When you reach a point where you say, if I had the data, my argument would be better or my decisions would be more clear or I could predict, you know, eight quarters out instead of two that's the time that it makes sense to bring a RevOps discipline. Again, it may not be a full-time employee, but it may be a sales leader that has a really good eye for RevOps. Yeah, and I would think that if you're trying to get funding, I think that, you know, it's so critical. And now it's, it's there because I think that's a key play that not only do you get the automation in the lift, the leverage to lower headcount, add technology so you don't have that, that overhead, but there's so much visibility that you get from all of these tools and resources. But my sense is probably so many people just waste it because they don't know how to access it. It's just stuck there or they, they, they had it at one point and it's gone. So, uh, you know, it, how do we work on that other than, you know, just I guess the easy answer is just hire one of us. Well, I think one of the key places to start is if you have an investor, if you have a venture capital firm or private equity firm, they all have RevOps. Right. <laughs> they, all, they all have that. So it's good to ask your investors, you know, do you have anything that you can tell me or do you have anything that you can share with me or what's your system, right? Because they often will tell you when you come to this board meeting once a month, you better bring these 11 reports because that's how we're in judging our investment on you, right? So I think it's okay if you're an inventor, if you're a founder, if you're somebody who had a really great idea for something new, ask the folks who are investing in you, right? Yeah. And then I think one of the things that can be easily done is to think about that sort of lean startup method that Eric Reese talks about, because that basically is the same sort of, you know, minor I think psychology of rev operations, which is thinking about how do I get all the things I need exactly when I need them so that we can keep running forward. A hundred percent. Okay. So I've made the decision. I'm going to, I'm going to put my big toe in the, in the water, right? Test the waters out and I'm going to get the rev ops person. Let's go outsourced. Then let's go, uh, hired. Okay. So what should I be looking for in, in an outsourced group? because I likely don't have the work, I likely don't have the, the payroll or the ability to pull somebody in at the level that they really need. If they are it, they likely have to be a superstar and I probably can't afford a superstar and I can get pulled over pretty easily. So what should I be looking for in an outsourced group? Right, so if you're looking for an outsourced group, I think one of the things that you can ask them immediately is, you know, what are your KPIs and what are your metrics? How do you know if you're doing a good job? You know, how are you measuring success for yourself and for your clients? And they should be able to tell you that immediately. And they should also have a way to say, here's where we guide our clients to their KPIs and metrics, or here's how we adapt to the ones that you have, right? So there's a very black and white measurement there. Are there some universal KPIs that we should be looking for when we're asking for those? Well, I think there are in terms of general marketing and sales attainments that, you know, everybody would think about, you know, what does it cost me to um, acquire a customer? Once I have a customer, how long do I keep them? And what's their general sort of um, focus on my 
MRR or my average contract value, you know, those same sorts of metrics are or should be the ones that if you're looking at an outsourced or contracted RevOps group, they'll be able to tell you, we can tick off these 10 general things that will tell you, here's what your revenue is going to look like. Here's what your pipeline feels like. Here's what your, how your funnel is being filled. All of the questions that you have, you know, as a founder, as a person who's the head of sales for a company. Okay, got it. So if I w want some really robust reporting, I should go go over there and they should tell me what robust reporting I need. I should think so. <laughs> okay, got it. All right. So um, when do I move past that outsource or do I ever in hire internal? So I think when you start to look at um, your sales approach for your company and you understand like, what do I need to support my sales team? Because I think about the sales team the same way I think about, you know, the uh, brain of an NFL player, right? It has to be protected. The sales team has to be protected all the time. We want to go past that 18 month retention point, right? We want all of our salespeople to be A players. So we want to give them everything they need to get there. So when you're looking at saying, okay, when do I bring somebody in house and what are the types of um, skill sets they should hold you're looking to say like what's our pricing structure look like what's our contracting structure look like um, do we want people to renew what's our renewal look like you know how complicated is it to sell right do you have a one month sales cycle or is it an 18 month sales cycle and so as you start to look at those complexities <laughs> the more complex it gets, if you draw a mind map, <laughs> as you get closer to the edges of the paper, those are your sort of shining beacons that say hire somebody in, in RevOps. Well, so that's that's interesting. So I didn't, I didn't think about the complexity to the sale or the product offering. So are there times that companies shouldn't have a RevOps? It's just so simple that you don't yes. really need it? Yes, yes, Brian, my goodness gracious. And if anybody said, I need some help and um, I have an Etsy shop and it's something that's very transactional where your prospect isn't even known to you, you know, if it's a transaction that can happen very simply, or if your salesperson is really a sort of um, order taker, there's no reason to have rev, rev ops there, right? So if it's a if it's a sales cycle where you have a salesperson who's sort of guiding between maybe a few very basic choices, there's no need to evaluate that because your product management team will handle you know that sort of evaluation. Okay, so it really should be. So is it selling to enterprise or is it? Um maybe a, a complex uh, service offering or? Yes, I would say those are the two best case scenarios for RevOps, enterprise sales or complex sales scenarios. And much like the way that you structure a sales team, is it also the lifetime value of the customer or the average customer value that contract value that that's whenever I should have a RevOps support function? I mean, any sense of numbers that I should look for there? I've met some really amazing RevOps people who are junior in their career, but have a, like a really um, left brain, like engineering approach to looking at these numbers and making non-emotional decisions. And I've met some RevOps people that manage teams of 40 people underneath them who focus on, you know, like sales onboarding, sales training, sales enablement, uh, you know, those sorts of things. And I think because it still is such a nascent, um, role in an organization. If you're the sales leader, you can shape it into exactly what you want it to be, right? Got it. So it's not really because with sales, I mean, if you look at the 
going back to what you were talking about earlier, whenever we look at the, you know, the, um, what was that called? The Machine by Justin, uh, Justin Marsh, Roth Marsh. He was, I think, my second or third podcast. Um, that delineation that we talked about earlier, just like manufacturing, you have to have a certain dollar value to be able to do that. And so you're suggesting RevOps probably isn't quite as mature of a, of a business function that you can have a, a really succinct answer there, it seems. I don't think so. I think it's when I think about accountants, if I t tell you, Brian, like think of an accountant and write down the five things you think they do, you and I are probably going to write down the same five things, right? right. Accounting is so well defined. It, it fits where it fits. And everybody who enters college being um, ready to be an accountant, they know what they're getting themselves into, right? Yes. <laughs> Better you than me. <laughs> Whereas RevOps, I think, is so malleable and it changes so much as the organization changes that it's hard to say, well, you know, once you have a product or service that's $15,000, that's the right time for RevOps because you may be selling a $15,000 tank, which is, uh, you know, like, do you need a tank? Yes or no? Buy this tank, yeah. <laughs> which is really different than saying, you know, here's a $15,000 enterprise software solution that, you know, we have to decide exactly how to customize for you. Got it. Okay. So no clear cut answer. I hate that answer, but that is the answer. It seems. I think it is. You know, I, I'd love to ask that same question two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, as sales machines become even more sophisticated, as we continue to balance out that art and science of sales and see the, the influence and impact of RevOps as it grows. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because um, the metrics of just going through that that funnel from lead generated that that lead generated all the way through there's some stuff that's stuck in the middle that that transition between marketing and sales that that transition there I think that's going to get that needs to be thought out more. I don't think many people are getting that transition because uh, uh, you were you were on that that call whenever I was talking with um with, with CMU the other day, where if you look at HubSpot, they're saying two percent of all MQs L closes. Um, Chris Walker from uh, from uh, Rev, uh, forgive me, Chris, I can't remember your, your group's name, but you're talking about how only one percent close. So there's got to be a lot of nurturing going back in, and I think if we got that figured out likely sales and marketing would fight less and that seems to be a perfect position where RevOps can shine if I'm not mistaken. It definitely is a great place for it and that's why I love RevOps as opposed to marketing ops or sales ops because they just sit in their same little silos saying yes head of sales you're right yes CMO you're right they're kind of looking across the entire sales cycle and saying okay from here to here we see this conversion rate here to here this conversion rate what can we do to get in there and solve this challenge yeah and then it gets to uh, a legitimate lead scoring right it's actually a le legitimate seat lead scoring because they know what in the world they're doing they know how to do the numbers right. and the analytics that's the world that they live so okay that's, right. that's 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 really useful so that might be the key area to focus on and uh, one that i'm thinking about now so let's figure this one out uh okay so shannon this has been awesome help us out what's something that you've seen a whole bunch of us make mistakes whenever we're dealing with uh with rev ops what can we avoid that you've seen others so we don't get hurt? 
you know, I think one of the things that is amazing about salespeople is their tenacity and their resilience and the ability to take rejection from prospects and customers that they've spent a lot of time nurturing. And I think the one thing I would say is do the same thing with your ego when you're working with your internal partners. You know, somebody in RevOps is not there to take your job. They don't want your job. They don't want, they don't want that job, right? Yeah, they no one does. <laughs> right. And so a lot of times I see in organizations over and over and over again, where the head of sales is sort of bringing that defensiveness to the table, to the RevOps person saying, well, that's because and but, but, but. And uh, the reality is like, you guys are playing for the same team. Yeah, very true. Okay, so really better alignment and, and, and keep your ego at the door. So love it. Okay. Um, what's a oh man, you're all over the place. So you're gonna you, you don't have to pick just one. Okay, <laughs> one business hack for talent sales or scale. I mean, you could you could choose all of them if you want. Um, one thing that would be really helpful that we could do and, and implement today because knowledge for knowledge sake is pointless. What's one thing that we can take that you might suggest is a really good hack that we can implement as a first step for this? I think one of the things that I would encourage everybody to do is find a peer network, right? In sales, so often we you hear that lone wolf, you understand that lone wolf example. Sales can be very lonely. You might be on a plane all by yourself, going to customers all by yourself. But one of the things I would say, and I don't know that it's a hack, but <laughs> find that peer network of people that you can trust, that you can ask questions to, because the difference between knowledge and wisdom is one you earn by making your own mistakes and the other one you earn by asking other people what mistakes they've made so you can avoid them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we always had that thing whenever we the picture, we walked out to the tarmac to fly the airplane. You won't live long enough to learn everything on your own. So absolutely. Any peer groups that you might suggest? I'm a huge fan of modern sales pros, as you know, and I love AAISP. I, I just have always liked that organization because they're very friendly and everybody is there to offer their support. So those are definitely my two favorites. Right, and congratulations, you're on the board. So <laughs> we'll talk to you later about that one. All right, so AAISP and Modern Sales Pros. So that's uh, two great two great organizations. So um, any, any resources that you might recommend so we can learn more about RevOps or understand a little bit better, whether it's um, books or podcasts or guides, where can we learn more about this? There are a lot of really spectacular books, podcasts. Um, one that I love a lot is called Lightning Sales Ops. That's one that's really, really good. Um, I really enjoy Mike Weinberg. While he is technically somebody that talks to sales management, he's very operationally focused. So I like him a ton. Okay. And um, the last one I would say is Mark Hunter. Mark Hunter is, he is a great operations guy and, and he's got loads of war stories that are helpful. Nice, war stories are good. All right, trends that you see coming down the pike, especially in this nascent, I like that word, nascent uh, industry or business function of RevOps, what, you know, shake up the magic eight ball, what, do we, should, what we should be looking for? It's continued digitization, right? Looking for more ways to automate what we're already doing in, in, in terms of sales, and then putting that eyeglass on for the future to say, where can we use AI and machine learning to help us sell better? AI and machine learning are never taking the place of the salespeople. That's not gonna happen. But there are ways to use that to say, okay, here's how I can learn more rapidly from my mistakes so I can pivot in the middle of this week instead of the middle of next quarter. Nice, okay. So awesome stuff. Shannon, who should reach out to you? How should they do it? And why should they reach out to you? 
I hope everybody who has questions about how to improve sales productivity reaches out to me because I've got loads of ideas on how you can immediately implement that in your sales team so everybody can spend the most time they can on revenue generating activities. You can find me at shannongreg.com. That's a double N and a double G. <laughs> if the letters N and G didn't exist, I wouldn't have a name. <laughs> See, that sounds like, uh, sounds like Tigger, double R, double G. <laughs> All right, so we can catch you there. And then, um, so LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Clubhouse, uh, I'm on Snapchat. Wherever you are, I'm gonna be there. So are you on TikTok yet? You know, I, because I'm a data person, I have some real challenges with TikTok's data management, so no. No worries, love it. Okay, so we know how, or we know who should reach out to you, how they should and why they should do it. So thanks so much, and I really appreciate it. Final thoughts, parting thoughts, any last messages that you wanna to share to the audience? My final thing is anything that you do over and over again is operations. <laughs> so think about how to optimize them. That's a really good good takeaway. Anything that you do over and over again, and especially if it makes you swear, hand over to RevOps. Love That's it. right. <laughs> hey, everyone. On behalf of Shannon and wait, you didn't even lay out your company name. Cloud Adoption Solutions. Cloud Adoption Solutions. So check them out. So check her out. Uh, get after it. Have some fun. If you're swearing, call Shannon, but don't <laughs> swear at Shannon. She's really nice. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See you. Thanks, Brian. And I can't see the stop button. Here we go. We'll edit this.